Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show. Today, your friendly neighbourhood watchmaker, that's me, Rob Nuds, and my co-host all the way from Amsterdam, Alan Ben-Joseph, will be tackling a very interesting subject. That is an analysis of all of Rolex's 2023 novelty. So, Alan, how did this come about? So, Rob, you and I went to Watches and Wonders 2023 in Geneva. We were there the first day. Obviously, everybody anticipates the, the Rolex novelties and the Patek Philippe novelties, which always drop, I believe, 7 a.m. Central European time uh, on the day the fair starts. That's an old tradition. All brands used to honor it. I guess Rolex and Patek are the only ones that still honor that and Tudor, which is owned by Rolex. So the media always, the watch media explodes with those novelties and it's uh, groundbreaking news and earth shattering and etc. And it dominates the first one and two days of the fair online with the media. Now, you and I do love Rolex, but it's not top of our list. And we love to do in-depth analysis of the watch industry. So we actually didn't start off our media around the fair with Rolex. We touched upon a little bit. We actually only discussed the two that got the most attention, which is the day dates with the puzzles, the jigsaw puzzles on the dial and the emojis, and the Oyster Perpetual with the bubbles. But we, on the one hand, said it's not fair because there are way more novelties and actually very cool stuff. But then we concluded that we're rather late and it was dealt with by other publications so much that we wanted to leave it. So during one of our Q&A episodes, we actually asked our listeners, do you guys and gals want us to do a dedicated Rolex episode during our Q&As? And we actually got flooded with feedback, which surprised me, weeks, actually months after the fair that they would love to. So, and also in the real-time show network that we have. So they really nudged us. Um, I wouldn't say beg us, but really uh, motivate us to do it. So here we are. This episode is just about Rolex novelties. If you're not into Rolex, my advice, just skip. Um, And if you're on the fence, we are very, very critical. The real-time show is called The Real Time because it's not only... Um, as it goes real time, but real talks about real watches. So we are sharing our honest opinions and we'll try to be objective what is good and bad about the novelties. But Rob and I will also say why we love or hate the novelties, right, Rob? Yeah, absolutely. And I might say, if you're not a fan of Rolex, perhaps do stick around because this year Rolex has released a lot of stuff and quite interesting stuff in fairness. Now, yes, the headlines were grabbed by the two models that we spoke about very briefly, and I got quite annoyed about also less briefly in the past. But there is some really good stuff. There's some very thoughtful, as you would say, Alan, evolutions, not revolutions, uh, to the Keyline products, especially the Daytona. I think that one's going to dominate a large part of this episode as we dig into the analysis there. But yeah, I'd say if you're not into Rolex, stick around because you might have your head turned by something. There's one or two very key pieces that I think are worth worth pouring over. So where to begin? So I did some research because we aired the episode, the Q&A, where we asked this on air. 
I, uh, when we got the feedback to do it, you and I decided to do it. In Dutch, we have a saying, mustard na de maaltijd, which literally means somebody serves you the mustard after you finish dining, right? So there is no point doing it. That's the feeling you and I had, because what are we going to add? But okay, our listeners' wishes are our commands. So there, we discussed on air, there was a lot of speculation that the jigsaw puzzle was an April Fool's watch, the day date. Yeah, unfortunately not. Well, it's not. But when we state facts, we want to make sure. So I called a few ADs and the jigsaw puzzle is the real deal. It's considered a special. That's why you won't find it on Rolex.com. And Rolex is always surrounded by a bit of mystery, right? It's a foundation. Nobody really knows who owns it. Nobody knows how many pieces they sell. And nobody knows how much turnover and profit they really make. With that, and, and how the waiting lists work and how you can actually obtain watch some leaders. Now, the analogy goes for the special pieces that are gem set or with Eastern Arabic slash Hindi numerals on the Daytonas, day dates, etc. Those are special pieces. They're also surrounded by mystery how you can obtain them. Same goes for this jigsaw. So I spoke to European dealers. They did not know really if they can get them, how to get them, how to obtain them. They need to supply their requests with Rolex HQ. So that's the mystery on the jig puzzle. Maybe very briefly, we said this on air. If you want to know what Rob and I think about, just listen to episode 51 or 53, I believe. I think we dealt with it in those episodes, Rob, or, or maybe 49. I just listened to them all. They're all good. In a nutshell, I kind of did like it. Rob kind of really not liked it, right? Yeah, right, right. And shall we just leave it at that? Well, you know what, actually, I want to add something to this jigsaw puzzle um, discussion because, yes, I don't like it. I think it's an abomination. I think it's a disgrace and it denigrates uh, the, the fine heritage of the day date. You're, laugh you're laughing because of my, my candle. Like it completely uh, uninhibited honesty there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm horrified by it. I was being asked, actually, um, as part of a focus group uh, uh, on trends in watchmaking, um, why I thought Rolex had done it. And I said that I think Rolex were trying to uh, create that, that real buzz of interest around the brand, turn everything on its head, do the thing that we always said that they would never do, and, and then make it completely unobtainable and completely maddening and have people like talking about it for weeks on end. And it's a brilliant, brilliant marketing stunt. It is. It's absolutely wonderful. I don't agree with the product itself, but that I think has been a great success for them. Apparently, there was some rumor that Rolex did it because they had to, because it was something to do with illegal proceedings that they'd experienced when they were trying to sue some aftermarket modifier. I think someone like Artisan de Genève or Blaken or one of these modifiers making like Banford used to do with the Rolexes all the time. I think Rolex were pissed off. Someone was uh, messing around with their wares and uh, trading on the back of their good name, as it were. And there was some suggestion that for Rolex to be able to attack these guys in court, that they also had to do something similar in-house to prove that, say, uh, aftermarket modifier was uh, doing something with a Rolex watch the Rolex themselves could also do. So I had never heard of this justification before, and full disclosure, I have no idea if it's true, if there's any truth to it, if it even makes much sense. 
But that was what was fed back to me that that could be a reason, a sort of a strange little background reason that Rolex had to sort of show that they were able to customize their own watches so they could sue other people who wanted to do it. It's actually very interesting. It's the first time I hear this. And while I'm listening to you, I'm saying to myself, hey, actually could be um, Rolex has always been run or the last 50, 60, 70 years by lawyers. The current head of the foundation is a lawyer as well. Not the CEO, the fool, but the, the, the head of the foundation. I forgot his name. But if you think about it, to um, sue somebody on copyright infringement of designs or products, you need to have seven differentiators in the product to walk away free. So it could be that this is indeed reverse engineering, as you're saying, to end be a customizer to attack customizers. And maybe somebody made a uh, emoji uh, date disc or a uh, funny word mm-hmm, mm-hmm. day disc. So it could yeah. could be could be, and maybe they just maybe they just wanted to be young and agile. Maybe they wanted to bit of a revolution in their evolution. Yeah, or maybe they did, like I said, eat mushrooms. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I, I, I find like the whole legal thing seems very odd to me because I, I just don't really feel like surely that can't be a sufficient statement to make any difference in any sensible court in any country in the world. But perhaps there is something in between the lines there because it's so un-Rolex, that behavior. And one other thing, what else did they do this year on two models that I'm aware of that they don't do? What did they do that aftermarket companies always do? They opened the case back. They opened the case back on the 1908 and they opened the case back on the Platinum Daytona. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are, I mean, I know you're correct. In in Dutch law, you write the seven points of differentiation between one product to another. Just by opening that case back on two models, one that is a very limited, um, very sought after $80,000 platinum daytona anniversary special edition that no one will ever get to wear and the other one that no one really will want to buy um they've been quite clever because they've they've just squirreled away this 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 quirk in the corners of their collection so it's there so they could say legally oh we do that you can't you can't use that as one of your seven points of differentiation anymore and uh, perhaps there's something to it it's funny that you say that rob because the first question i had about the daytona why only open case back on platinum and not the rest? So maybe you just gave me the answer. Maybe you didn't, but let's deal with it when we deal with the Daytonas. And you said something that shocked me. Did you say nobody wants the 1908? <laughs> well, yes, I did. I did say that. And I'm going to, I suppose, walk that line for the sake of our um, discussion. But let's let's start with the 1908, shall we? It's the first one at pop. Okay, let's do, let's do, let's do. So the shock... Uh, I, I, I believe I called it the Cellini 1908 on one of the previous episodes. Naughty, naughty. Yeah, maybe I corrected myself on air. Maybe I did, maybe afterwards. But for the record, to my regret, the Cellini is discontinued, especially the most recent one with the moon face, which I, I loved. I believe was super underrated. It was a beautiful caliber, beautiful watch. Um, so it's gone. I guess it's supplemented. Replaced by the 1908. I, I It piqued my interest. I don't know why. I do love dress watches. Um, I always loved the Cellini. And 
Rolex always made dress watches. All the focus goes to sport models and maybe oysters and day dates, but they always made dress watches. I mean, it started with the Prince models. On topic of that, did you see what our buddy Romanic Andre did on the coronation day um, for uh, <laughs> King Charles with that Prince watch? Now I'm a king. Yeah, yeah, I liked it very much. Epic, epic. Um, but okay, I'm sorry, I'm deviating. So uh, the first thing that spoke to me was the hour hand. I love the little ring circle on the hour hand. Uh, at first, I didn't like the 369. I didn't wa- know why. Then I said, oh, it's too much Explorer-ish. The, the model is called 1908, but apparently it's inspired by a watch they produced in 1931. So it really has pedigree and heritage. I like it. I think Rolex should make dress watches and not only sport-ish models. And I hope they actually increase the collection, so make a broader collection. Today, it's only in two precious metals, white gold and I believe yellow, not Everodes. Or maybe Everodes are not yellow. No, you're right. This It's white, gold and yellow, yeah. Yeah. And so imagine they'll make it, in, which surprised me because dress watches still today, still today go best in precious metals in rose gold. So that surprises me. And imagine they would make this in stainless steel. Do you think that would work, Rob? Oh, God, I don't know if it would work. I mean, the style of the watch is one thing. Whether you like it or not is entirely subjective. I think it's handsome enough. I'm not a huge fan of the small numbers, um, the Arabics that you pointed out. Although you're right, they are inspired by an early Oyster Perpetual from 1931. And uh, I like the yellow gold case. I prefer yellow gold these days to rose gold, although I did go through a phase of loving rose gold. So I think they made the right choices. I think in steel... This piece loses its luster. It loses kind of the point of its existence. I mean, it's 21,600 euros in yellow gold. Comes with a white dial or a black dial. I think the black dial is the pick of the bunch for me. And um, I think if you knocked it down in steel, what would you charge for it? I mean, that's it's difficult, right? I mean, because it, it's not a very technically super duper watch in comparison to other things in the range. Yeah, I guess 10, 12 ish. Mm, no, I mean, no way would I think that this is worth 10 or 12 because, I mean, it's just a slightly passe OP as far as I'm concerned, stylistically. Who do you think they target? Is this a oh. gentleman or lady who would consider Jean Le Coultre master, a Vacheron? Well, it's a good question. I mean, it's it's just a classic dress watch, right? I think Rolex feels like it should have this arm of its company still active, even though I don't think it's what barely anyone comes to the brand for. And I can't imagine that too many people were really thrilled to see this piece, but I'm sure some people will be, and maybe it will grow on me. I mean, you love the Cellini, like the Moonface. I thought it was a so-so watch. I certainly wouldn't have bought it from Rolex. It just wasn't what I go to Rolex for. It's not what I think of when I think of the brand. It's not an abomination. It's a perfectly tasteful watch, but it's just really not for me. It doesn't even move the needle slightly um, as far as I'm concerned, and the open case back is maybe uh, a saving grace on this model because it's something that differentiates it from the sports models. But I just, I don't know. I just, it leaves me cold. I feel you. So dear listeners, I would love to hear any of you who would consider the 1908 or actually ordered it because I don't think they're supplied yet. And if you have Cellini's out there, are there any Cellini lovers out there? All right. I got a... Trivia question for you. Why is it called the 1908? 
So that's what I wanted to ask you because Rolex wasn't founded in 1908. That's right. I wanted to ask you that actually. So I bounced <laughs> the ball immediately back into your court. Okay, well, as you as you correctly said, Rolex was founded in 1905 by Hans Wilsdorf, a German who was living in London at the time. But in 1908, he packed up his bags and he moved back, or should I say moved to Switzerland, where he registered the Rolex name. And so I don't know what Rolex are trying to do, whether they're going to sort of slowly slide away from their 1905 origin story and just sort of claim they were Swiss all along. But um, it's a nod to the foundation of Rolex in Switzerland for the very first time. So that's why it's called the 1908. Interesting. Thank you for that. And I love a bit of history, but I guess you're saying it's a bit confusing because I believe you should use years in your model name if they're either foundation or the start of that collection. So they started 1931 or this model is based on the 1931 Oyster, as you said. And they were founded in 1905. So I find that a bit confusing. But they also have the um, 1926 in the Tudor range, but that's the foundation year of Tudor. So or when they registered the trademark, Wilfsdorf trade. Anyways, going to the next one. I can want to do a little intermezzo. Okay. Did you or are you going to order yourself or your private collection any of the 20, 2023 Rolexes? Well, good question. I would be tempted, I suppose, maybe by the GMT Master 2 roller saw model. I thought that was a bit bit cool, bit sexy, bit late 80s vibes. Yeah, I kind of like that one. But I don't like the price of it, to be honest. It's just really not a watch that I could see myself getting excited over for um, that kind of money. So I would not order that. I'm not hugely thrilled by any of the new Oyster Perpetuals. I do still quite cover the silver dial, 36 Oyster Perpetual with gold markers. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. And I, I'm slightly disappointed that the Date 836 with the, what is it, Carn- Carnelian? Is that how you say mm-hmm. it? The, mm-hmm. uh, the, the nice one with the orange dial. I'm a bit annoyed that that one's got the diamond markers on it. Me too. Because I could do without that. If I had just like regular um, baton indexes, that would be a model that I'd definitely go for. So no, unfortunately, the answer is probably no. I'm not going to put myself on a waiting list for any of these pieces. Although I was quite impressed with some of them from a collection building standpoint. Where should we go next? Should we go to the Sky Dweller? So it's, I guess, the least discussed model this year, but actually got a lot of tweaks done there. Tweaks? Really? I mean... Physically, the model isn't that different. There's just a couple of new colors, as far as I'm aware. I mean, it's not like they've reinvented anything major with the way the Skydweller Skydweller fits or sits on the wrist, right? I mean, you've got the, they say mint green dial, although I'm not sure I'd yeah. call it mint yeah. there. And then there's the really nice green-blue dial in the Everose case. Unfortunately, with the Everose bracelet, now that's something I could do without. If I had that model on an Oysterflex... I'd be really, really excited. And I guess it will come in time. But yeah, that, that Skydweller Oyster 42mm Everose Gold with the blue-green dial, whew, that's uh, that's sexy. Yeah, it, it also spoke to me. So the interesting thing is they brought the 18-carat white gold back. Uh-huh. And then first time ever on Oyster Flex. And the mint green, which I agree with you, it's just a nice, deep green on steel. And as you said, the Everose has this bluish green, which is more minty turquoise-ish green. 
is lovely. I love the ring command bezel function. Um, I wanted to ask you, the annual calendar, they call it the Saros, S-A-R-O-S. Do you know what that word means? No, I don't actually. So it's the first time I noticed this because the watch exists already over a decade. But I think it's a super cool watch. For me, too big, too thick, but I really appreciate it. And they did a minor upgrade to the caliber. They moved from the 9001 to the 9002. And they added the chron chronergy, 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 chronergy. Do you know what that is, Rob? They did that on many calibers this year. Yeah, well, they upgraded the, the Daytona movement as well, didn't they, from the 4130 yes. to the 4131 by adding the Chronogy escapement. And I believe that the idea of the Chronogy escapement is it just feeds back power from each of the oscillations into the escapement more efficiently. And are you aware if today in the collection, is there still any watch with a movement that's not made in-house? Or did they by now upgrade everything today? Oh, I'm I'm pretty sure that everything across the board is now made by Rolex, yeah. I, I haven't seen a non-Rolex caliber for quite some time. Yeah, so they, they are technically now fully 100% manufacturer integrate, right? Because they do the balance springs, that, which is usually the most difficult part for other manufacturers that do a lot in-house. I mean, they have their own foundry, they, they cast their own gold. So they literally do A to Z, don't they? You'd bloody hope so. I mean, for the costs of Rolexes these days, which are just just stratospheric in comparison to what they were 10 years ago, like they've just zoomed out of uh, anything like an accessible price point. And the most affordable model now is still around 5,000, 6,000 euros, and that's an Oyster Perpetual. You know, Okay, the smaller ones are a little bit more affordable than that, but very few people buy them, I think, on balance. So... Yeah, it's uh, it's a company that I expect an awful lot from. I don't want there to be any stone left unturned when it comes to designing their products here because for me, Rolex, for whatever it is, is a producer of very fine products, you know? I want these watches, simple as they are, to just be flawless, to be quite frank. And on that note, let's move to probably the biggest talking point of the day, and that is the the redesign. Total redesign, actually, of the Cosmograph Daytona. So take yes. it away, Elon. So I, before we take it away, are you a fan or are you not a fan of the Daytona? I wasn't, and I am now. So uh, wow. I'm, I'm wow. quite impressed by this new model. Yeah, I, I love the old, old Daytonas. The sort of, you know, the, the pre-Daytona era, I would say. Um, but in recent years, especially since the ceramic bezel came out i've not been at all interested but this one has piqued my interest for several reasons that we'll get into i i am sure yeah so for our dear listeners that maybe are not that familiar it's a 60th anniversary so before the daytona was launched they there were chronographs in the collection they're often now referred to as the pre-daytona chronographs they had these pump pushers no te tachymeter on the bezel um, so, so those are the pre-Daytonas. Pre then Daytonas got an aluminum bezel, um, still pump pushers. At a certain point, they had the screw down protection around the pushes of the chronograph. And today, the Paul Newman, the nickname Paul Newman version from the 70s, late 60s is maybe the most epic one. I like the John Player special editions. I love these retro uh, fonts, uh, retro vibe fonts on the sub dials. 
And then I got myself on the Daytona bandwagon with the steel bezeled tachymeter versions from the 90s, 2000s, free Rolex calibers. They had Zenith, El Primero, modified calibers. A lot of people think that the Rolexes also were beating at 36,000, but they screwed them down and Rob will tell us why. And I today have only one left in my private collection, which is the one with the first generation uh, Rolex caliber. I didn't get on the ceramic bezeled bandwagon with Rolex. I have to admit that I did not want to love the Zenith Chronomaster Sport with the ceramic bezel. I did get one this year after waiting for two years on the waiting list. And I'm sad to say I'm in love. And that is my gateway drug to, and a segue to the Rolex Daytona. I need myself one of the newest Daytonas. And personally, I think it's an amazing upgrade. They, they toned it down. They made it visually calmer. And the first thing that I've noticed was the hour markers are a bit smaller, sleeker. The minutes around the subdials or the markers around the subdials are sleeker. And I love the fact that they put the ceramic bezel into a metal frame because the danger of that old bezel, and I have the same problem on my Chronomast Sport, is if you bang it, it will not chip but break. So I guess they improved the quality on that. Let's jump in there at that point. And talk about this. Isn't it funny that when Rolex first released the ceramic, the all ceramic bezel, that all of the marketing material and everything that you heard was how scratch resistant and how durable and how beautiful and perfect a material ceramic is. Nobody ever mentioned about the, the fact that ceramic is brittle. So it can chip or shatter or you know, break. Like you said, um, you're right. It won't scratch if you catch it awkwardly on an angle. But I have... Never heard of a single person shattering a Daytona bezel. Never. Not once. I have. I have. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I have. I, I guess I've seen cases made out of full ceramic by other brands break. I've seen Rolexes where numbers, you know, and the gold inlay fades out or gets scratched out and that the numbers chip away and I've seen whole bezels break. Okay. So I have, including Sapphire Crystal. So. All right, so, okay, here's another thing. Firstly, Rolex say that this is a one-piece bezel, so I don't know how they actually claim that that's made because obviously there's different materials there. They're fused, I suppose, okay. somehow. But it's not just a traditional insert like we would have had with an aluminium bezel, like friction fitting into a uh, metal ring around the outside. It must be like layered onto the metal itself somehow. So if you whack the edge of this, bezel now with the metal ring surely that shock would still be enough to like dent that metal and then potentially crack the ceramic insert within it as well wouldn't it i don't think so so the old rolexes are laser engraved but not through and through so let's say for the sake of it they'll go half in creating a relief a stamping it's not a stamping but it's laser cut right but not all the way through so, and then they would fill it with, I guess, vapor deposition gold inlays. So, Omega was the first, uh, as far as I know, still the only one who 
takes their ceramic bezels, cuts them through and through with laser, and then they call it liquid metal. From the back, they push metal through, polish it off, so it's one flush surface. Now, I, ha- I didn't hold the new Daytonas in my hands yet, so I owe this answer. But if I look at the images, I'm not sure what they did now with the new Daytona bezels. Are they literally flush and not cut out and filled with gold? So I, I don't know that, Rob. But to answer your first question, with other brands and even Rolexes, when you bang the metal, the metal dents and it kind of absorbs it so it doesn't shock through. Kind of. Yeah, kind of, but it's not like a fail-safe entirely. All the impacts I've seen is the impact on the ceramic, and then it literally bl- breaks as uh, thick china porcelain. Not glass. Glass shatters in pieces, but you get a clean-cut break. Yeah. And then it's split in two, like a diamond as well. Okay, well, by the by, I don't think that it's a huge like advantage, and I think that it's just funny how y- you got the same brand releasing something 10 years ago saying this is the best thing we've ever done it's amazing and then basically 10 years later saying oh that that stuff's crap why why would anyone ever do that here's here's a ceramic in a metal frame that's the best thing ever okay whatever i tell you what though it looks amazing like it's beautiful and that really makes a massive difference to me because i hated the uh i don't know the technical vibe of the all ceramic break uh, bezel i think it was just very oh very standoffish, very toolish, very like, I, I felt like it had just crawled out of a lab. It didn't feel like it had any heart or any soul. And you know, this is a Daytona. It's supposed to be a racing chronograph. There should be some kind of, you know, uh, emotion to the design. And that was, I think, improved massively by the addition of this metal ring around a bezel. But a lot of other things have changed about this, this watch as well. Okay. Firstly, we have the upgrade to the caliber, as we alluded to before, from the 4130 to the 4130. One, not major changes, not earth-shattering, but interesting that everything has now been pulled into the 21st century. Alon mentioned that the hour markers are thinner. They are. They're smaller and thinner. And so are the rings around the subdials. They have been slimmed down also, which gives the impression of making them appear much, much bigger than before. When you compare the new model to the old model, the recently discontinued model, you will see that there is a massive visual impact advantage in favor of the new model and that is exacerbated by one more thing and that is a slight increase in case diameter and we'll dig into that more specifically in a moment and also a reduction of thickness so the watch is now 40 millimeters which daytoners have always pretended to be but haven't actually been and we'll we'll give you the measurements in a sec it's now 11.9 millimeters thick which is 0.5 millimeters thinner than it was previously so as you know from the visual impact index when you increase diameter and reduce thickness you get a watch that looks much much bigger on the wrist and finally the major change here is if you study the lugs you'll see that they are on all models now symmetrical and a little bit beefier so if you look at the old steel models the two and four o'clock lugs near the pushers are actually slightly scalloped and slimmed down and smaller than the ones on the other side in an attempt to create visual balance. Strangely, though, on the precious metal models, they were always symmetrical and they were always a bit thicker. Talking of those precious metal models, they are now also 40 millimeters, having um, 
aligned with the steel models for the first time in the past according to the best source i could find to get a real measurement was actually just rolex forums and i trawled through there to try and try and figure out what was going on here because i watched a couple of videos on the new releases and there was a bit of a disagreement in the comments as to whether the gold watches had all been bigger than the steel ones or had they been bigger than 40 millimeters or had they just been bigger relatively and or whether it's just some of them that were bigger turns out that the steel models used to be 38.66 millimeters in diameter not 40 and the white gold i could only find a confirmation on the white gold was 39.66 so still smaller than 40 but noticeably bigger on the wrist in the past although everything's been aligned now all the cases look the same and it's just a choice between the materials and i think that they've done a really really smashing job with this one what do you think Elon? i think you know the answer i think they've done amazingly um i i i hope to one day obtain this iteration of the daytona i'm not in a rush I didn't put myself on a waiting list yet. The only thing that annoys me is why they have two bezels now. So on the Everose, it's a full gold bezel. On the two-tone as well. I, I, I think they should have made it all equal. All see-through case backs, all ceramic bezels. Me personally. So that's a little thing that annoys me. You, you and I had this discussion. My brother and I are shopping for a gold gold watch for quite some years now because we always said when we turn 40 we'll gift each other one and and we still didn't pull the trigger and we don't know what and the funny thing is top of the list for my brother Amir the yellow gold Daytona the previous model on gold bracelet with green dial nicknamed the John Mayer was top of his list and not because it became a hype model. Because it's hyped, he doesn't want it anymore. It just spoke to him. So I actually didn't ask him if he swapped his number one position, which is that model, to the new Daytonas. And he's on holiday now, so I can't ask him. So I owe that answer still. Um, so congrats, Rolex. Yeah, really good job. Really nice. I love the precious metal models in the Daytona range, to be frank. And... I would really like to get myself one of those cosmographic Daytonas in yellow gold, I think, on an Oyster Flex. The bracelet's a bit too much for me. Talking of bracelets, it might be a bit too much for people. Let's shift over to the GMT Master 2. Two new references here, one in all yellow gold, one in roller source, so that's Oyster Steel and yellow golds. They both have black and grey bezels, so uh, a new tone way i think adrian barker called it or tone way yeah it's pretty cool i like that so let's let's go with that what do you think of the new gmt master 2 is it a welcome addition to the collection or is it unnecessary so i saw the pictures of the black and gray two-tone bezel the ceramic i didn't like it on pictures i think it looks better in real life and real life for me is seeing it through the showcase because i didn't have a meeting with rolex this year so i i I wasn't jumping for joy and i i've seen several nicknames but i i don't even remember it because obviously it needs to be a drink right last year we saw or two years ago we saw the sprite we already had the coke Uh, we expected the coke to come back it didn't devastating yes devastating maybe next year I, i i strange enough the full yellow on the gold yellow jubilee really spoke to me don't know why um, I, I'm not a two-tone guy in, in, in metal, so steel and gold, uh, it's not for me. And I've still not encountered a watch that does it for me. So yeah, I think they did well. I think they're 
triggering a lot of people with just gold jubilee or two-tone jubilee, but it works because I understand why they did it. The original GMT master was with jubilee. I think rather cool. You? Yeah, it's cool. Again, it was probably the closest to getting on a waiting list for me, but yeah, I mean, I do want the Coke and the, the bicolor, the, the roller saw one. 16,150 euros, you know, for a GMT. Right. It's like, Jesus right. Christ, that's a lot of money. You can get some proper, proper horology for that kind of cash. So, no, I could see you rocking the all gold one, though. I think that would look really, really good on you. And um, all you got to do is uh, find the cash because that one is even more expensive. No, you know what? No, yeah, it's not about the cash. I mean, it's <laughs> lucky what you. kicks me off. <laughs> no, not lucky me. I mean, we talked about this on our previous QA. I, I let things go if I really, really need another watch. And I'm honing in on my Uwek. I actually had a call today. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, yeah, but I mean, this GMT Master 2, yeah. this is 38,200 euros. That's more than a second-hand and that's So, you know, that's crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot of money. Yes, I agree with you. No, but I'm just saying that that I'm looking at this price range. I still want a gold, gold watch. So it could be a nominee on my list. But I'm not going to put it on my list because the black and gray ticks me off. Although I, I am getting into the world of polished ceramic bezels, which took me a long time to get there. So uh-huh. darn you, Zedeth. Yeah, for me, the the the, the GMTs, I, I, we've spoken about that. I have the Pepsi old GMT Master 1 with aluminum. I am by now let go of the ceramic one. Uh, we discussed this. We did an awesome uh, product review episode on the GMT Master. So go and listen to that one if you haven't. I think it was a fun episode. So I let that go by now because it was too shimmery and shiny for me. Uh-huh. And I guess it goes the same for this. So I want to use this as a segue. Uh-huh. I said on previous episodes that I ordered the OP, the Oyster Perpetual Bubbles, in 31 and 36 for my kids. You didn't love those either. I guess we can leave <laughs> it at that or we can discuss them as well. But the one at Top of my list, and I guess you can guess which one I want to get. Oh, uh, I don't know. The, As being the titanium guy. Oh, the Yachtmaster 42. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a Yachtmaster guy. My mum rocks her 40 mil steel platinum bezel, platinum dial a lot. Not my cup of tea. Um, I love the dial, but never the bezel in whatever case size or dial version. And, and definitely not the two-tone one or the full yellow gold one. The titanium one, and it was expected to come because two years ago or a year and a half ago, somebody spotted from far a skipper sailor wearing a very grayish Rolex watch. So they guessed it's a yacht master because he's on a yacht. It seemed like a black ceramic bezel. So that watch was apparently tested a lot. And it's this one apparently. But last year they launched the deep sea, what is it called? Uh, the, 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 the monstrous watch in uh, RLX titanium. Yeah, what is RLX titanium? Can we get your titanium guy on the uh, on the phone? Yeah, we should. It is TI5, but apparently they mixed their own alloy or had somebody mix their alloy. But let's get our titanium guy on the show because A, you <laughs> you 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 titled the episode 49 Alon has a titanium guy. Yeah. And we spoke <laughs> we spoke in length about that titanium guy. So yeah, let's have that discussion. Apparently, Sylvain Bernard is in the network as well. 
and he it seems he's he, he he also knows a lot about titanium so let's do another titanium episode for the sake of it but oh gosh i was scared about the relief numbers because they polished them which i kind of regret a little bit but i've seen it in the showcase it does it for me i think i'm going to order one no rush like the daytona but i love titanium watches as you know so i guess that was my number one pick for me this year what do you think about that watch rob well it goes against my normal sensibilities i don't really love titanium and rolex going together i was a bit sad when they released the deep sea challenge because i thought oh this is going to be this is going to open the floodgates and we're going to see it rolled out across all kinds of models and i just really don't I don't feel so good about it i don't feel like it's really rolex for me and that's odd because it makes sense it's toolish i suppose i always love the tudor pelagos lhd and this Yachtmaster 42 is the closest thing visually to that that Rolex has in the range. Um, but despite my initial discomfort with titanium and Rolex, it's hard to deny that this is a beautiful, stealthy, sexy looking watch. I mean, those polished, raised ceramic numerals on the bezel are certainly beautiful in real life. Catch the sun very nicely in general wear. The hour markers are enormous and really I don't know. It, it, they just they, they speak to me like a like a child looking at a toy. You know, they just look like a lot of fun to interact with. Massive lollipop seconds hand. I don't know if you noticed that, but it's like Man. definitely bigger than usual. Um, you want to lick it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, almost, almost. <laughs> uh, it is tasty, um, no doubt about that. And I mean, thirteen thousand eight hundred euros. Now, that's a lot of money, yeah. But given the prices of some other things, I think this is like maybe m more like justifiable. Like it's it's better for me for the price than the GMT Master Two in roller saw, even because it's more technically interesting. And it's a yacht master, which should be like out there and glitzy and fun and I don't know, um, odd odd one altogether. Beautiful watch, beautiful product. Don't know if the story hangs together as well as I think Rolex would like it to. I mean, wouldn't it be better to have a Titanium Explorer than a Yachtmaster? Because like the exactly. Yachtmaster was always like the the fancy pants version of the Submariner that you wear on the deck of a yacht, not like when you scale an Everest. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, great looking thing. I'm not going to buy one. So let's make uh, let's make predictions twenty four twenty five. Will we see an Explorer one Titanium? Will we see a sub Titanium? I mean, I guess so. I guess so. I'd be surprised now if we didn't. I mean, the sub was unveiled in 1953, mm -hmm. which means that it is supposedly the 70th anniversary of its unveiling. But really, I think the general belief is that Rolex didn't start selling the Submariner until 1954, and they cling to the 53 thing because that ties them with Blancpain and whoever else it was that had a major dive release in a uh, 53. There was somebody else that's escaping me. Maybe Zodiac with a Seawolf. Was that right? Was that 53? I can't remember. Could be. Could um, be. So we might see a, We might see Rolex admit this next year and go for the 70th anniversary of the Submariner in 2024. Um, I'm sure they'll spin it however they need to to make the story stick. But that could be an opportunity for a titanium sub. This could be like... The runway towards that, like they're just testing the market for it in in a slightly incongruous family. What do you think? 
I think your uh, theory is right, and I would put my money on it. And I think they should do it. <laughs> and I don't think they have a, any way back. Although we shouldn't forget, Rolex is a commercial company. Although the foundation does a lot of charity, and technically there are no dividends, but obviously it goes to the foundation. But if something commercially doesn't work, they scratch it. Okay, I think we're mostly through. We do definitely need to talk about the Explorer One in forty mil. But I think we, we've we, we've sort of done the day date already in the previous episode. And as attractive as they are, um, they're not really for us. Although that Carnelian dial is really gorgeous. Uh, if only it were less glitzy. Uh, with diamond numerals. All right. Um, it's had a bad effect on me this episode, as usual. You know, as we always say, like this this show is bad for our wallets and uh, <laughs> I don't know about our mental health, but I, I have kind of fallen in love with one of the Daytonas. It's the yellow gold on the Oyster Flex with the um, intense black and champagne dial, which has the red minute track around the outside. I think uh, at 30,050 euros, Obviously, it's complete unobtainium. There's no way I could get one. Uh, but I might go into a retailer and put my name on a list and just see what happens. See if I get one in like two or three years. That'd be fine. Damn it. Sorry. It's the most ugly Daytona, but you do. You, <laughs> you really think so? Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. It is a bit of an odd duck, isn't it? Yeah. It yeah. is weird. But, but uh, you are too, right? So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was actually just sort of, I was trying to do you a favor because obviously like, when we stand next to each other, like I'm obviously way more handsome than you are, and that's like definitely, definitely, definitely serious problem. So, like, I thought if I just wear an ugly Daytona, that'll that'll equalize us. I appreciate it. No worries. I'm I'm a nice guy. What can I say? You're such a good buddy, man. Such a good buddy. <laughs> but that we knew already. I mean, I, I, we've discussed it in length in our previous episode. Uh, all right, we're enough of that. Wanting to get in Geneva. So, um, and, and by the way, uh, all the, the, the fan club, Rob fan club, especially the female side of the fan club, all you, right. can, you okay. can DM me for personal requests. Right. Are you selling like sort of skimpy photos of me again to people? Uh, services, <laughs> photos, uh, met metaverse, whatever. <laughs> oh my goodness. What have we walked into? All right. The 40 millimeter Explorer. Um, they've ditched the 39 that's gone. There is no longer a, was it a 41? Yeah, the 39's gone. There's no 41 now. There's just a 40. They have decided that this is the perfect larger size for the Explorer. And I believe that its proportions have been very nicely retained despite the expanded diameter. However, is it necessary? Alan, what do you think? The 36, I was actually initially happy when it came out. I had the 39. One of the 36 never got it. And now I'm triggered by the 40 again. So I don't know what to do with my waiting list position on the Explorer 1. And and now that the 40 is here, I kind of regret they didn't make a 39 again. I have no idea what the reasoning behind the 39, the 40, and the back of 40 is. The 36, I understand. The biggest fear of all the collectors was that they scratched the 36. And I kind of hoped the two-tone would have been scratched, but to my big regret, it's still there. Oh, is that real? I thought I'd had a like, horrible nightmare and imagined that. The two-tone is real. Oh, God, it's horrible. Wow. I'm in shock. I, I, I thought you were going to uh, rattle my cage again by saying that, it, that it's an amazing watch and you want it. Nice shite. It should never exist. Oh, I totally agree with you. Okay. I thought I'd imagined that. I love you again. 
<laughs> oh, thank God for that. <laughs> no, I love you again. That, 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 I really did not understand. That, you know, my stance on two watches, you should never make precious metal watches like like the Speedmaster about they made gold versions to give to the astronaut and the US president mm. la 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 okay good story legitimate that Rolex started making gold watches in the in the sports models okay I mean going from a GMT pilot's watch to gold I understand you want to give a captain or a retiring captain a gold one good to make gold dive watches I I don't get it but okay You've done it. I get it. Whatever. You're sitting on a yacht and you might go diving, but you want a gold one. Okay, I'll follow that analogy. But an Explorer watch, which was always made for explorers and was always bought by non-explorers that just want a low-key watch, and it has always been a low-key watch, why suddenly make a two-tone and, and, and matte steel with polished yellow gold and a black dial it has nothing to do with aesthetics or beauty? I don't get it. I really don't get it. No, me neither. We're in we're in accord there. But the forty millimeter steel gets a thumbs up from you, does it? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's good they made two sizes again. The Explorer One should never leave the collection. On topic of leaving collections, um, I, I I hate the Rolex website. It was bad. It became worse. It's difficult to find models. So tip for you that listening i want to quickly find prices or what dials are available skip in the menu all the discover go to configure while you're on the website just go to configure find configure configure your rolex because that's the only way to find prices and what dial combinations you can make or strap combinations but i recommend a very high speed internet connection because it takes forever to load even if i'm on 5g on my mobile or I have literally 200 Mbit download speed on my desktop, it still takes 10, 20, 30 seconds to load each segment. So Rolex, please, please, please deal with it. Yes. Okay. So anyway, so um, we would love to hear what you think of the Rolex novelties. Rob, thank you for this session. Thank you to the Real Time Network for poking us to do it. I enjoyed it. Rob, take it away. Yeah, a lot of fun. Please do get in touch with us with any of your questions for this episode or future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Rob Nuds. That's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. Alon is there at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or you can email us either rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. Or you can find our contact form on the website, www.therealtime.show. We will be back again on Thursday with an interview with one of Watchmaking's leading lights. Until then... Stay safe and keep on ticking.